Welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. Hi, this is Larson Hicks with Trinity Reformed Church. Before our regularly broadcasted program, I want to tell you about a conference we're putting on here in Huntsville this January. The conference is called Stronghold, and our theme for this first year is Biblical Masculinity. We're thrilled to have a great lineup of speakers. Pastor Vody Bauckham, Pastor Michael Foster from the It's Good to Be a Man podcast, Pastor George Grant, Dr. Ben Merkel, President of New St. Andrews College, and Pastor Rich Lusk. Tickets are on sale now at strongholdconference.com. Supplies are limited, so be sure to get one quick before we're all sold out. Thanks. Hope to see you there. Sunday School by Matt Carpenter on January 10th, Lord's Day service. We sing because God's Word commands it. You know, there, there's all kinds of other reasons for us to sing, and those are important. But when God's Word calls for something, we do it. And we can ask questions later. So, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19, is probably the premier text given for calling us to sing as we gather together. And uh, I will just go ahead and read a, a few verses before. Therefore do not be unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts unto the Lord. Now, that word... Making melody in your hearts is an interesting word. It is, uh, the precise meaning is to pluck a string. Now in ancient times, there was only two strings that you would ever pluck. You would pluck, first of all, a string to play an instrument. So, you know, something like the instrument, you know, a psalter was actually, is not actually an instrument. And there are other instruments, you know, a harp, things like that. But people would play strings. David himself played on his harp. But the other type of string was what? What is another type of string that would be plucked in ancient times? A bow. Now, you can say, well, that's a interesting coincidence and actually I would say it's not just a coincidence I believe Paul had in mind two forms two two different ways that when we make melody in our heart when we're singing to the Lord yes there is the call as David says often in the Psalms to play to the Lord and he names instruments even that we use to play but also Paul, will, he, he hints at it here, and then when he goes on, he'll talk about actually that we're called to spiritual warfare. And he will, he'll make that a clear priority. So I believe that the, both meanings of plucking a string there, when we make melody in our heart to the Lord, we are, yes, lifting up our voices in music, but we're also preparing to strike at our enemies, or God is using us to strike 
his enemies. That's a better way of saying it. We're not anarchists. We don't strike our enemies on our own. We do so always under the authority and the command of God Almighty. If you consider, though, the words that we sing, how, or let me ask this, to whom are we addressing most of our hymns and psalms? Who are we talking to? Overwhelmingly, it's, it's God. I mean, you could just, if you just flip to a random portion of the psalms, you see, like Psalm 92, O Lord, how great are your works. Your thoughts are very deep. He's talking to God. Now, there are times in the psalms where he will address others. He will address people. But he is, he's talking to God specifically And he's giving him, in this case, he's giving him praise. And before we we really get into that, there's a point that I want to make, though, connecting two things that we often disconnect. And that is prayer and singing. What is prayer? That was not rhetorical. What is prayer? Yes. It's talking to God. You know, there there are formal prayers, there are informal prayers. We're told by Paul to pray without ceasing. So when we pray, we're talking to Him. When we are singing hymns, or as we have in our hymn book, all 150 psalms put to meter, so it's not the precise words, but the psalms are mostly prayers to God. But what is the difference? When we pick up a hymn book, what what are we doing? We're taking the same words that we, would, that, that we address unto God and we're putting those words to music. Now that is a key point because the rest of what I talk about this morning is going to hinge on that. When we pray, excuse me, when we sing, We are offering a prayer to God. When we're addressing Him, of course. But we're offering a prayer to God with music. So so when you consider that, there are then a lot lot of different prayers that we find in the Psalms. And the Psalms are the book that teaches the Christian how to pray. If you want to know how to pray, go to the Psalms, start in Psalm 1, and just make your way through. Because the Psalms are filled with every type of prayer that you can offer. And in fact, I'm not saying you have to sing them, but 
a practice that is healthy for Christians is just when you read the Psalms, if you can get out of the modern mindset of always reading quietly to yourself, just read them aloud. And, and, and say them as a prayer to God because that's exactly what you're doing. And it will form your prayer life. Now again, this is not specifically, this lesson is not on prayer. This whole uh, series of Sunday school lessons is on music, is on singing. So, so how does this tie into singing as warfare? Well, there, as I said earlier, there are several different types of prayers in the Psalms, but those are used later on in Scripture. We see them, the, the, the prayers of sometimes praise, that is exalting God for who He is, thanksgiving, which is thanking God, gratitude for what He has done for you in the past. There's, of course, petitions, asking God to fulfill requests, uh, there is at times confession of our sinfulness, but, but there's one particular type that we are often uncomfortable with because we're not used to thinking of God as, be, as anything but you know, a really powerful Santa Claus, at least in, in, in the modern view. And that last type is one called imprecation or imprecatory prayer. It's a unique type of petition that is asking God to bring judgment on His enemies. This is hard for us. The idea that, I mean, for some people it's, it's hard even to believe that God would, He would be the one to bring judgment. But then it's even harder for us to think that we would have a role in praying for that. That's why you don't hear psalms read very often in churches like Psalm 2, which we'll read in a minute, Psalm 9, Psalm 20, Psalm 137, and there's a, the list is really long. I'm not going to go through all of them. Those psalms have very strong things to say about God's judgment. So, for example, Psalm 2 begins, Why do the heathen rage, and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. But he who sits in the heavens shall... Somebody finish it. Laugh. Laugh. Scoff. He shall have them in derision. In other words, you have from God a laugh and a roll of the eyes thinking, how pathetic. But it doesn't stop there. He will go on to say, that he's given his son, he, he, he's given, and we know Christ, the nations for his inheritance, and he will end by saying this, Be wise, therefore, O kings, listen, hearken, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling, kiss the son lest he be angry, 
and you perish from the, from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. So what's going to happen to the wicked? It's not going to be pretty. Now that's Psalm 2. We're not going to take as much, we're not going to go through others, but I will call, just call your attention to Psalm 9 as another imprecatory psalm, particularly verses 17 through 19. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten. Their expectation shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, do not let man prevail. Let the nations be judged in your sight. When's the last time you heard that put to a sentimental hymn? Probably not. So, so this is strong, but the message is really clear. We are called, these are some of the prayers that we are called to pray. They are inspired by God. This is not just, I mean, I, I've heard people say, Christians say, well, David was just in a bad mood that day. So, you know, he was pretty upset, and so he's, he's writing, but that's not for us. Or, that's Old Covenant, and we're not Old Covenant. Kind of like, you know, that, that psalm is not really inspired like the rest of it. Well, either it is or it isn't. Once, once you say that part of Scripture is not, really, is not for us, that, that, that especially the book that Jesus quotes from almost, you know, as much as any other book in it besides Isaiah and Deuteronomy. Once you say that, that, that it's not for us anymore, that's not a slippery slope, that's a cliff. And the landing is really harsh for your faith. So... We should not neglect this. Now, I will, tell, I will warn you. You will run into some Christians of the anarchist variety, uh, the reformed anarchist variety, who really get a charge out of the imprecatory psalms, and that's about all they read. Okay? That's a small minority, but that is a group. Okay? So I'm not saying we only focus on the imprecatory psalms. But for most of us in our backgrounds, that's not where we are. Our backgrounds, we're not used to these. And in God's kindness, He calls us to get accustomed to reading, to praying all of His Word. But again, what does this have to do with singing? Well, that's what the Psalms are. What did Paul say? He said, speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So when we are singing the psalms, we are praying to God with music. When we sing together from our hymnal, we end usually after, at the end of the hymn or, or psalm, we will say what? Amen. Okay? Now, because a lot of us are former Baptists, we think that that just means, that's right, I'm excited, good job, but that amen means none of those things. It means, let it be. It is the final exclamation point on what we have sung, asking God to bring about 
what we have just prayed. That's why we say amen to every prayer, which is why when you say amen to any prayer, spoken or sung, you are asking God to bring about what the other person has prayed, which is why we pray with people. When, when, when there's prayer that's offered here in church or in your home, when you say amen, you are joining your voice to that person. You're saying, I am in this. So, with that, what is it about singing that is unique? Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. It happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat's the king of Judah. Then came some and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, and they are in Hazazon Tamar, which is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord, and from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly in the house of the Lord and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven, and do you not rule over all the nations, the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hands there is no power and might, so no one is able to withstand you. And he goes on in this prayer, and he reminds God of what he has done in the past, how he delivered them in the past. So, skip with me now to verse 14. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, of the, the son of Madaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Listen, all of you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid or dismayed of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow... Go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook in the wilderness. You, do not, you will not need to fight this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. O Jer Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. So, Jehoshaphat prayed. When he prayed... The, the word of the Lord came to him, and he heard, and the message was very clear. Do not fear. The Lord is with you. Do not fear. The Lord is with you. So, to all of us saints gathered here right now, by extra word of exhortation, let me tell you, do not fear people of God. For the Lord is with you. Does not matter 
When you pass through the water, He'll be with you. When you pass through the fire, He'll be with you. When you go through any storm, He'll be with you. When the walls are crumbling around you, as He says in Psalm 46, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, the Lord is with His people. And that will not change. At this point, I need to calm myself down a little bit because internally, though I'm Presbyterian and keeping a flat expression, I'm very excited. That's really good news. That is really good news. Back to this. So they rose early, verse 20, in the morning, and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, here comes the weird, odd, bizarre command. He appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness. And they went out before the army and were saying, Praise the Lord, for His mercy endures forever. That's Psalm 136, by the way. A psalm that rehearses God's deliverance of His people from the beginning of the time when they were in Egypt all the way, actually even going back to Abraham all the way through, it is a history of the people of God and God's deliverance of them. That's what they were singing when they're marching out to battle. Now when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly destroy and kill them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. So when Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and there were, dead there were their dead bodies fallen to the earth. No one had escaped. When imminent destruction was on God's people, this multitude of armies is marching. Jehoshaphat had a choice. Either we go out against them and get slaughtered, or we stay here and get slaughtered. How do you want to get slaughtered? But it, they had the message to not fear, but then they stay, still went out. And that's an important point. They didn't just sit back when he said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. They didn't sit down and wait to see the salvation of the Lord. They marched out, but they marched using the most unique infantry in the history of all warfare. They called not the foot soldiers who were trained in hand-to-hand -hand combat. They called Levites. <coughs> now, the history of Levites is interesting. The first time you see the Levites as a group called forth, their job when Israel was, when they had come out of Egypt, and they, God ordained the worship at the tabernacle. When they would have the tabernacle, it would be set up. The Levites would guard it. Even before the tabernacle, when it was around the mountain of God, the Levites would stand there because God said, don't let anybody come to this mountain. So the job of the Levites was they had arrows. They had a bow and arrows, and they were ready 
to kill anyone who approached the presence of God. They were holy warriors. That was the original job of the Levites. That job changes after the establishment of the temple. They're no longer warriors with a bow and arrow. There's a segment of the Levites who were trained later in music. And their job as musicians was to sing in the temple. What were they singing? What, was, what, were, they, what were they called to sing? I hate to break it to you, it was not I'll Fly Away. They were singing the Psalms. Now, I do not have a scripture text specifically that tells you that, but I can tell you this. Historically, it is verifiable that Israel sang first and foremost the Psalms. In fact, the Hebrew name, the Hebrew title for the book of Psalms is Psalms, Hymns, and Spiritual Songs. Uniquely, this exact same phrase that Paul uses in Ephesians 5.19. So, these Levites were now, they were, not just, they were no longer just in the temple. Now, they were commissioned by Jehoshaphat to go out. They're not just guarding the temple with, with the music, the singing unto Almighty God. Now, they're commissioned to go forth to battle. And what are they doing? As I said earlier, they're singing Psalm 136. And verse 22 says, When they began to sing and praise the Lord. Incidentally, let me add, they were not, this was not just, this was not imprecatory. This was praise. This was thanksgiving. They're praising God for who He is. And they're also thanking Him for what He has done. When, he did the, when they did those things, when these holy warriors unto God were going forth singing the praise of God, it said, when they began to sing, the Lord set ambushes. So they're told, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Standing still, in this case though, was not sit down and hush. It was go forth. They went forth with singing. The singers were God's army. They were the ones who went first. Singing is a part of the weaponry God has given us in spiritual warfare. It's not just, the, it's not just saying words. And the words are important. Absolutely the words are important. But it is lifting up words in the beauty that God has given, the, in the beauty of song. I cannot describe, I, I, I'm not, I don't have the wisdom to describe what goes on in the spiritual realm when the saints of God raise their voices in song, praying to God. 
I, I cannot tell you how it happens. I cannot describe to you what it looks like. It is, and I'm, I'm not just saying this, it is my prayer that one day I'll, I will get a glimpse of this before death. I want to see this. or I, I want to know what it's like. But I know enough to know this. In the New Covenant, there is no longer one priest. There is no longer a multitude of priests from, based on who the family that you're, into which you're born. There is one great high priest. That is Jesus Christ. But in the book of Revelation, which is where we're going next, Revelation chapter 8, in the book of Revelation... We're told in chapter 1 that we have been made kings and priests unto God. Part of that is, it means that we are now in the new covenant, we are the commissioned holy warriors as the Levites were. It's not just one cloud, excuse me, it's not just one group Who's, who's in this separate cloud. No, it's every saint of God. We are all called to be filled with the Spirit, to lift our voice to Him in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and plucking our bows, making melody in our hearts unto God. That's our job. That's what we do when we gather together in worship. We are doing this corporately. Revelation chapter 8. We see this also. Now, I, I will grant you, in Revelation 8, he talks, he's going to talk about prayer. But if you can associate in your mind that prayer, Prayer is not one thing and singing something different, but that singing is a form of prayer. If you apply that when you read this, I believe it will be helpful. Revelation 8, verses 1 through 5. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before his, the throne. And the smoke of the incense, with the prayers of the saints, ascended before God from the angel's hand. So we'll stop there. I will read the next verse here in a minute. But let, let, let's set, set the picture. This is the presence of God. John is getting, he has a glimpse of what's going on in the, in the presence of the Most High. And leading up to this point, we've seen uh, overwhelmingly the book of Revelation after you get out of verse, chapters 2 and 3. Chapter 1 is exaltation of Christ the Son in His power and glory. Chapters 2 and 3 is the message of Christ to the churches of Asia Minor. And then in chapter, beginning in chapters 3, going through chapter 7, you had this combination of praise unto God as well as 
judgment. And you'll see this form continuing. No, I'm not going to give you a thorough outline of Revelation right now. Couldn't do it. But that, that's what we're leading up to. But then in chapter 8, there is, it said seven angels stood before God. And then one had a golden censer. A censer was an instrument that held incense. So, so this is a, a priestly picture. This is something, it's like he's going into the Holy of Holies, the most holy place in the temple, except it's not the physical temple anymore. Now this is the greater temple before God. And in the holiest place, there was a place where, where the high priest would come in and offer incense. Well, John is seeing this very thing happen right now. He said he was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of the saints. So, so what is, this incense is mingled with something. What is it mingled with? It's mingled with the prayers, the petitions, the praise, the thanksgiving, the imprecations of the saints. And this to God is a, understand this is a sweet savor. This is a, this is a, I almost hesitate to say it, but it is a blessing. It is honoring to God when we pray and when we sing. Again, keep those two together. Don't, don't separate them. But, it doesn't stop just with being a sweet savor unto God. Verse 4, And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar. The fire is that which would burn the incense. So, so the angel takes this, this instrument that had the, the incense, the prayers of the saints in it, he takes the fire from the altar as well. It is also in the censer. And then he says, He threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunders, lightnings, and an earthquake. What happens when the, the prayers of God's people are mingled, are, are offered to God, and then the angel takes what was the, those prayers, that incense, and he pours it back upon the earth, what is the result? It is God's work of judgment. That is a strong image. And the fuel for the work that God does there, for the, the fuel for that judgment are the offerings of the saints, the, the praise, the thanksgiving, the imprecation, all of that, when it's poured out, it results in God's judgment. It is a type of warfare. God works when His people call upon Him. 
in song. Now, this can be difficult for us because this, we're just not used to thinking like in, in these terms. We're used to thinking that, that we ask God for something and He may or may not do it. We're used to thinking we sing because that's what good church-going Christians do. And that's all. Now, th there's more to our warfare than just singing. Okay? Again, in the book of Revelation, you can see you know, the words of the saints, particularly uh, of those who are considered prophets or messengers of God, they are also war, warlike, and they have those effects. So, so there's, there's much more to this. It's not only singing, but singing is the way in which we, as the saints of God, when we are gathered together, this is one of our greatest works in worship. And it means more than just a little something. It's not just... Our singing is not just to encourage others, although it does. You all have been in churches where singing was anemic. Where, 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 where the saints don't sing for whatever reason. And I'm not trying to judge the people. Or, I don't mean any, any of that. I'm just saying you know what it's like when the seeming, singing is tepid. It's not encouraging. Well then, if you combine enthusiastic, joyful, reverent singing with words given to us and sentiments expressed in the Word of God, you put those two things together, you have an unstoppable force. No, you may not see results ten minutes after we finish. Because again, God's timing is not ours. It's not going to look the same. But you will see. In God's time, you will see the results of this. We do not, historically, have much of a, a, of a place in our minds for how Western Christian civilization grew, except, I mean, we know, and usually Christians say, well, it's because of good Christians who, who researched and who, who did strong academic work, and it's Christian armies led by kings, some of whom were godlier than others, who, who were faithful in their war for civilization, and all those things are true. We are thankful for, for the men and women whom the Lord raised up to make known His goodness, to make known His gifts, to preserve what He has done for us. All those are great things. But something I regret that people do not give any appreciation to in the development and the growth of what we consider Western civilization, or better termed Christendom, is the role of men and women in monasteries who would chant or sing through the Psalter the all 150 psalms every week. 
for hundreds of years. No one, no one that I've ever read attributes God's work in giving us the gifts that we are so graciously enjoying and many are squandering today. We do not attribute that work of singing and prayer around the clock for centuries to what God has done. But I'll tell you this, and look, I'm not an apologist for celibate ministry and for monasteries and for all that. Please don't, don't take it that way, okay? But I will say this. Had it not been for faithful men and women who were giving themselves to prayer generation after generation after generation after generation, we would not have what we have right now. We would not have it. It is God's kindness to us that men and women were faithful to do that work. In addition, not an exclusion, but in addition to the people who were faithful in, in fighting the wars, in preserving the wisdom, in growing in the knowledge of God's world. That was important too. But the prayers and the singing of the saints is the untold story in the work of God's development and the gift of Christian culture. And it will take that same work in a new form, but it will take that commitment and that work today for the furtherance of the gospel and for the preservation and the reformation of God's people and of Christian culture. And it's 1014, so we've got about 30 seconds for questions. Seriously, does anyone have any questions? I do not have action points. I regret. Uh, well, okay. I say that. I, probably the best that I know of would be A, sing in your home. Have music in your home and sing and be aware of what you're singing. So... I'm not again. I'm, you know, I'm not condemning music, but I'm saying the best is the closest to the Word of God that we can get. So, so sing and teach your kids to sing. Any other questions or comments? Provided they're positive. Not really. You could. You could. There is an entire, <laughs> so our reform fathers divided in some cases over that issue. And, you know, it, it comes down, so for us, obviously, we approve of instruments. 
and you know, the best I could say is following the Psalms. They command, they call for them, and they enhance the voice that God has given. But I will also scripturally, though, it is expected that the that instruments not overpower the human voice because the human voice lifting up praise to God is the primary instrument. So that is something to always be careful of, like in worship. Uh, you know that that that's not. That, that, that they help and lead along, but not become. So that's, that's just a there's, a... there's a lot more we could talk about with instruments, but that's just a bit. Anything else? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you again for our time together. Please bless us as we prepare for worship this morning. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com.